When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's set this straight once and for all. The biggest plot hole in Back to the Future is why didn't Marty McFly's parents recognize him in the future? The standard answer that has come from everyone is that there's just been too much time gone by that they forgot what he looked like. Lorraine and George McFly simply don't remember the guy who their son, who is named after him, looks exactly like. And many say that you wouldn't remember someone that you knew for about eight days back in 1955. But I disagree with this. And this is going to be the topic of today's podcast. Welcome to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. I talk about all the best things of the 80s, Back to the Future being one of them quite often. So before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, let's do this. So I want to blow this whole thing wide open and look at why it's impossible that they don't realize that not only does their son look like the Marty they knew from 1955, but it's the exact same person. There is no way they would not remember one of the most significant people from their formative years. And we're going to look at five or six different topics that, again, make it impossible for them not to know who their son really is. So the first thing is to address that issue of that it's easy for them to forget. You know, Marty's parents don't recognize him because he wasn't in 1955 long enough. And this is one of the biggest responses people make and to why, you know, Lorraine and George don't recognize him. Many people say they can barely remember people from their high school, let alone someone they only knew for a week. That may be a good point, but even though he was only with them for eight days, he made a significant impact. And personally, I've been out of high school for more than 25 years, and I remember everything. I remember all the people. I remember specific moments, conversations. I remember what everyone looked like, what they wore. And these are the formative years of your life that are really ingrained in you and, you know, set and develop a lot of who you will become. The fact that Back to the Future, it's been only 30 years, if you think from 1955 to the point we know the McFly family in 1985. So Marty, as we know him, would have been coming into his own. He's 17 in the movie, you know, say around 14, 15. All those sort of personality traits are in there. And again, I can easily remember back to those high school days. So the fact that people say, no, those memories are completely wiped, I don't buy it. And the argument that he was only there for eight days actually seems even more significant. Hill Valley seems like a small town. And we, even though we never get a specific population size of the town or the high school, it doesn't seem like a major city. The fact that like 
everything revolved around the town square makes me think it is one of those smaller California towns. You know, maybe there was another high school, but from what this looks like, it's a very close-knit, tight community. So how could these people forget about the guy who came in out of nowhere, turned everything on its head, had an impact on a wide amount of people, then disappeared forever? Surely they would have wondered where he went and why they never heard from him again. You think at the very least there would have been a reference to him in the yearbook. They would have had to have made reference to Marty over the years. And the fact they continue to interact with Biff, with the McFlies personally, must trigger some memory of Marty from 1955. A ton of the students saw him skateboard through the town square, which we'll cover in a minute. They see him fight Biff in the cafe. Then they see him invent rock and roll in front of their eyes. He made a huge impact. Let's look at some of the specific reasons they would know, and the first one being the Florence Nightingale effect. And I think we need to remember how infatuated Lorraine was with Calvin Klein slash Marty. I don't think a girl in her extremely impressionable formative years would have soon forgotten this guy who came into her life out of nowhere. The Florence Nightingale effect, where nurses fall in love with their patients, is a very real thing. This was more than just some boy she was mildly interested in. She was smitten. The Florence Nightingale effect has been sort of studied for years and decades, actually. And in the case of Lorraine, it would be, you know, one of her first loves, basically. And that wouldn't fade that easily from her memory. Marty stayed in her house, in her bed, and met her family. She tried to get him to stay in her house. She went on a date with him. She even kissed him. And add to the fact that the kiss was very weird for her, again, another thing that wouldn't fade from memory. The point is that this wasn't a random student that showed up, but an integral part of the life of young and impressionable kids, specifically Lorraine Baines and George. I still, um, my own story here, I still remember the first girl I liked from kindergarten. I can perfectly picture her, but... You know, she also did make fun of my Dukes of Hazard lunchbox, so that's another memory tucked away all in there that we don't need to get into. But let's look at one of the big things here, and the hard, the hardest thing for me to overlook, that when it came to George and Lorraine, Marty was involved in one of the most significant moments of their lives. And the big issue around both of them not remembering or recognizing Marty is the fact that George reinstates the genesis of the relationship in front of both Marty and Lorraine. When Marty is in the new 1985, he sees Biff trying to con George about the second coat of wax on his BMW. Then we hear George go on to state. Yeah, Biff, what a character. Always trying to get away with something. Can't have Biff ever since high school. Although, if it wasn't for him, we never would have fallen in love. That's right. Clearly, they and George are recalling how Biff was at the center of the two of them getting together. So if they recall that, how do they not make note of Marty the most instrumental part of all of this happening? The truth is, if it wasn't for Marty, they never would have fallen in love. Also, why in the hell... Does George still have Biff in their lives considering what happened with him and Lorraine? Why is this still a relationship? Or is this George's way of kind of tormenting him for decades past this incident and how he almost destroyed their lives? But then this young guy who came out of nowhere 
actually, you know, reshape their lives at the same time as this guy's trying to destroy it. Okay, let's go on to the next big issue. They named their son Marty. So I'm trying not to shout here. I get worked up on this topic. But this seems like one of the most obvious cases. Not only should they remember Marty, but they should also see him as a dead ringer for the Marty from 1955. We see Lorraine say that she likes the name Marty when he leaves them in 1955. And clearly, it stuck with them as they named their son after him. And why did they wait until their second son to give him that name? Dave as being the first son. The memory of Marty has always stuck with them if this is the case. I also, I also wondered why they didn't notice, no, no disrespect to Michael J. Fox. He was a hero of mine growing up. He's Canadian too. So how did they not notice how short their son Marty is compared to their son Dave, who just towers over everybody? Um, their vertically challenged son would have to stand out the way um, the short Marty did back in 19, 1955. It was kind of that like running joke that he was a smaller guy. Let's look at another issue here and a little clip to help us along with it. I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. Calvin, why? Why do you keep calling me Calvin? Well, that is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. So this is looking at the issue of the first time any of them would have heard the name Calvin Klein. And Calvin Klein didn't really become the iconic brand it was until the early 80s. But this must have baffled Lorraine. The name Calvin was pretty much interchangeable with Marty as she would often slip between the two when addressing him. Even Biff referred to him as Calvin Klein. The name Calvin Klein would have stuck in her mind because not only is it it a really specific name, but it also would have been burned into her memory due to her infatuation with him. Can you imagine what Lorraine's response would have been the first time she heard or saw the name Calvin Klein in any form of advertisement or marketing? I think like her mind just would have exploded in her head. The first big splash Calvin Klein made, the company, was selling 200,000 pairs of jeans in one week in 1978. By 1981, the real Calvin Klein was worth millions. This would mean that Lorraine would be aware of the Calvin Klein brand right around when her son was 14 or 15 years old. And he wouldn't look too different than the 17-year-old she intimately knew in 1955. How could this not trigger the memory of the Calvin Klein she loved in 1955 and the son she has that looks just like him? If the brand had come out in, say, 1968, Marty would have been a baby, but the name would have still had to make her take a step back. It's just interesting that the Calvin Klein company rose to prominence at the same time her son was the exact age when she met him in 1955. Okay, my next point here, and something I remember thinking about as a young kid when I first saw Back to the Future, and that is George's book has a lot of specific detail to it, especially on the cover. So you might need to, I mean, I'm sure you can picture a match made in space, George McFly's book. Uh, but, you know, if you need to do a quick Google image search, have a look for that. So th- th- this is probably the bigger giveaway to me here. If George, Lorraine, and Biff can't recognize that Marty looks exactly the same as the Marty from 1955, George at least should be able to. The argument is that it's easy to forget a face from 30 years ago. That makes sense. But it seems that George has an extremely good memory. And to prove this, all we have to do is look at the cover of George's book. 
and we can see how great his recall for detail is. The cover of the book shows two teenagers facing each other with a perfect representation of Marty in the hazmat suit as Darth Vader behind them. This would obviously be a jarring memory for anyone, but George has every detail of the outfit correct down to the Walkman on the belt clip and even the zipper right down the middle. Again, if you want to look side-by-side comparisons with the actual still frames from the movie and then the cover of the book, he remembered every detail. Here's a side note of the movie. If You might not have noticed this, but in that scene, and you can actually see it on the cover of the book too, on Marty's in the hazmat suit, on the right side, you see this sort of black gun-like holster thing on his right hip. And in the movie... It's easy to miss it, but it's a hairdryer that's actually attached to the outfit. It's sort of to look like a ray gun or a stun gun. And this is from a deleted scene where they're go, uh, Doc and Marty are going through the stuff in the DeLorean. And remember, Doc had packed a suitcase originally, so they're going through that, seeing if they can find anything to help them. And they find that Doc had packed a hairdryer that Marty then eventually uses to create the complete Darth Vader look. But... This is amazing. And and this is the other big thing. It's not like this book came out in 1965, just 10 years after the events of 1955, but it has been released that day in 1985. Oh, honey, your first novel. That means that George was still able to perfectly recall all the details to the artist who created the cover. You would think he would have some memory of what Marty looked like, considering how his son is the spitting image of him. Okay, th- this is a small little one here, but we need a little audio clip to help us out. They bit through all of this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's going to drown. Yeah. So this is another classic running joke throughout Back to the Future. It's that Marty wears a red puffy vest that is confused as a life preserver in 1955. Fun fact, the guy who's saying that line, the get a load of this dork's life preserver, whatever, that was the original Biff Tannen. And the after a while, they re- realized he just wasn't like physically imposing enough. Um, so then they obviously recast Thomas Wilson. And he was originally going to be one of the other gang members. But interesting fun fact there. So the first time that anyone from Hill Valley who interacted with Marty saw one of these vests in the 80s, it would have to trigger the memory of this bizarre outfit choice they remembered from that random kid in 1955. Another thing that would have to trigger George and Lorraine would be the first time they saw Marty wearing the vest. This was like his go-to outfit all the time. Surely they would recall this unique outfit as being the one that Calvin Klein wore decades ago. Okay, let's look at another culturally significant moment here. Skateboarding as we know it didn't really take off until the 60s and 70s, and even then it was a real fringe sort of niche activity. The first commercial skateboard wasn't available until 1959, fun fact, made by the Roller Derby Company. Skateboarding obviously grew into the 70s and 80s, 80s, but anyone who witnessed the skateboard car chase scene through the town square in 1955 must have been stopped in their tracks when they first saw a skateboard in public. 
The skateboard, again, as we really know it in the culture, can pretty much be narrowed down to the mid-70s. That's when there was the rise of more commercial boards and the advent of skate parks. So let's say it became common to see a skateboard in public in 1975. That would be 20 years after the students of Hill Valley, including George Lorraine and Biff, first saw this activity take place. This or anyone who was there that day. Um, Goldie Wilson, all the other students, this would have to trigger, massively trigger the memory of the first time they saw someone on a skateboard and the guy they all knew who was riding the board. So as I start putting this all together, I just think it's impossible that they would not recognize that their son is Calvin Klein or Marty from the past. It's just, it's bizarre that they didn't, and especially that Biff doesn't. Calvin Klein's face must be so burned into Biff's memory from the hatred he had that it's amazing that he doesn't see it. Here's my theory, though. Biff, in the new 1985, knows that Marty is the one from 1955. Before everything happens with Back to the Future 2 and the going into 2015 and all that other stuff with old Biff, in the original movie, I think that the new Biff knows that this is the Marty from 1955. And Biff is posing as a mechanic for the McFly family so he can get close to and eventually take out Marty in a violent ending. Why else would he be around the McFlies who should despise him because of what he did to not only Lorraine, but to George his entire life? Basically, somehow... With the movie, it just seems like he has been removed from existence in their memories. They remember so many other details about Biff being the reason they got together that you think Marty would have entered the equation when telling that story. Hey, Lorraine, remember that if it wasn't for Biff, we never would have fallen in love? Remember how Marty set up the entire situation by coaching me and then actually literally taking you to the dance? Remember we saw him play rock and roll on stage and then we talked to him about the future and he warned us uh, about going easy on our kid if you ever set fire to the living room rug? What happened the day young Marty actually set fire to the living room rug? How in the world did this not trigger all these alarm bells in their head? I better start winding it down. I'm actually sweating right now. That's how into this topic I get. I find it's very interesting. I've had this discussion so many times with so many different people, and I thought it was worth putting into podcast form with hopefully a little bit of um, (laughs) research that backs it up based on things in the movie and things that have maybe been overlooked, things that we've all seen before. And it just leaves me questioning why no one is recognizing this kid was the kid that was so instrumental in 1955 in getting them together. And just think of the amount of time George spent with Marty in 1955. He's over at his house. He's helping him fold laundry. He's he's as ingrained in their lives as possible. You know, and the fact that he spent time at the, at Lorraine Baines' house, he met his parents uh, or her parents. He, he met her brothers and the dinners and it just, I don't think these memories could go away that easily in what I'm really um, sure is a very small town. And I think things like that would really stick with you over the years. So is this something you've ever thought about? This question must have come up at some point. And uh, yeah, I've seen this issue debated quite 
heavily. And I don't know, maybe it's something you have your own theories on and you have your own thoughts to why they don't recognize him or it might have been something you never sort of put together before. But the next time you watch the movie, kind of go through it, looking at it from in this sort of um, through this lens, just it, to see how bizarre the whole thing is. So I'll finish off here as uh, if you need to take off, close this out, whatever. I just want to finish if you're interested or in a position to support this show and that is through patreon.com and that is a way through you know just a few dollars a month to support like small independent podcasts like this one but the difference is you get different audio rewards based on you know the level you support at and there's a few different tiers and you know at the top tier I'll do, you know, shout outs and little bios of those people. They get the chance to suggest episodes, you know, future ones coming up. I've got the Boba Fett tier, which gives you access to the Everything 80s Movie Club, where I review a huge random amount of different movies uh, from the 80s. There's, there's a mix of everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, stuff like that. So if that interests you, you can go to patreon.com slash 80s, so P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 8 zero s or wherever you're listening to this on if you're on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever in the show notes in the description there should be a link that'll take you right there and on patreon i also do other things like i release the show there before it gets released to the world everywhere else um we do sometimes saturday morning cartoons where i pick out like a classic old cartoon episode put that up share old like awesome commercials from the 80s random pictures behind the scenes things of movies a bit of everything if you're interested go check it out see what you think if not thank you for at least listening to the show um being here just downloading it to whatever device you're on i know there's so many podcasts out there right now so the fact that you're taking the time to listen to this one and spending the time with me wherever you are if you're driving at home in the gym going for a walk whatever it is means a ton so that's it i'm done i will see you soon with a new episode don't you dare miss it